0: Exodus chapter number twenty five, I want to begin reading in verse and uh, or verse number eight. Let them make me a sanctuary, a holy place, that I may dwell, or that I might house among them. According to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle, the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. Everything about this tabernacle, of course everything about the Bible is Christocentric, which means it points toward Christ. It's about Jesus. And uh, so everything about this tabernacle is is a picture of Christ. It speaks about Christ. And when he had them erect this uh, tabernacle, the first thing that he did when he came into the outer court was there was a... Does anybody know what this is called? Somebody yell it out if you know. It's a brazen altar, okay? And uh, so that brazen altar was where the blood, the sacrifice was made. The coals were there and uh, they'd bring and offer up that sacrifice for the sins of Israel. And then after the sacrifice was on the brazen altar, they came to a a uh, a laver that's here and uh, it had holy water in it, I guess you'd say. And uh, this this is where the priest would come and he would wash his hands and his feet prior to going into Uh, the tabernacle and uh, this was called the brazen anybody know brazen laver it's a big old bowl and it had water in it now y'all just stay with me somebody told me one preacher said the thing about brother dana is you spend 30 minutes wondering where he's going and then 30 minutes shouting about where he's been and i said well one reason is is because i don't know where i'm going for 30 minutes i'm trying to find my way so we're, uh, we've got the brazen altar, which speaks, by the way, of the passion of Christ, uh, his, his death for you and I. And then we've got the brazen labor, which speaks of the the purifying of Christ, the purity of Christ, how he cleanses us through his word. And then after we get beyond that, this is in the Old Testament there, uh, after we get beyond that brazen labor, there is a curtain, Uh, there is a door, so to speak, and then that priest would go beyond that hanging, that curtain, and he would step into what was called the holy place. And in that holy place, God had three pieces of furniture built. And of course, they speak of Christ too. One uh, is is what we 're going to use this for is is what was called the candlestick had seven different lights on it, and of course it speaks of the revelation of christ it, it speaks of the inspiration of Christ, I call it the preaching of christ that 's how you and I came to know this truth is uh, through the Word of God that was preached to us, and the Holy Ghost turned the light on on the book amen. And uh, that's how you knew the truth of the gospel. And then there was a table there that was that had some bread on it. And only the priest could partake of that bread. It was cut in 12 different pieces representing the 12 different tribes. And uh, this bread, of course, speaks of Christ in his provisions, uh, his substance for you and I. And this this table was called the table of... Showbread or shoebread. It means ordered before the face of God as He looked over the ingredients of this this bread. So the, and of course Jesus is not only the light, but uh, He is the bread also, and uh, so it speaks of Christ. And then we come to another altar, and they would go out there and take the coals off that first altar, and they would put it in here, and they had a special ingredient. That was forbidden to be used anywhere else. Had a special fragrance and perfume about it. Didn't smell like Walmart. But it was one that was sent up constantly. Uh, as a sweet smelling savor before God. And of course it represented the prayer. And, and the praise as far as Christ is concerned on our behalf. He is our intercessor. Uh, he is our. Mediator, thank God, before the throne of the Lord. So we have these, these, these articles of furniture representing, speaking about Christ. Then there was another hanging, another curtain, and the priest had to go only, only the high priest. could go only once a year. And when he went in there, he had to be sure to have one thing with him. If he went in there without it, he was a dead man. That's what the Lord told Moses. said, you be sure and tell Aaron if he goes in there, he better have some blood of the sacrifice. Speaking of Christ, blood being shed on your behalf and mine. Honey, there's only one way into heaven. You better have some blood when it comes time to go. Amen. And uh, so he goes beyond this veil, this curtain, and it comes into what is called the most holy place or the holiest of holies. The most holy place on the earth that God has ordained and, and designed. And in this most holy place, there is what I'm going to call a box. It's called an ark. The word ark means a container something that holds something else within it. Uh, It uh, means, basically in its simplest form, it means a box. And this box is so vital and it is important as we're going to read in our text because it, it is here in this box on this ark that the Lord has promised to meet all the needs of all of the children of Israel. Not so unlike the truth that God has obligated to meet all of your needs in spite of a recession or a depression, but he only meets them in one place. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now, let's look at this text and notice while all of these other articles of furniture speak of the graces of Christ and the provisions of Christ and the blood of Christ, it seems as though that when we get to this box, it represents and speaks of the very person of Christ. And of course, this is where God wants us to focus on. He doesn't want you to stop out there with a cross around your neck. He doesn't want you to stop with just a Bible in your hand. He doesn't want you to stop just going to church. But all of those things are are graces of God that he has given us to bring us to the person of Christ. The question this morning is, is not do you have a Bible, not do, are you a member of, of a church, not have you come to the altar. The, the, the question is, do you know Christ, the Son of God? Because He is the very He is the very object of God as far as salvation is concerned, there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby ye must be saved. Now, let's notice his emphasis on this box. And I'm going to preach this morning. Jesus is in the box. And he is all you need. Let's look at it. Verse 10. And they shall make an ark of shittim wood. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof. A cubit and a half, the breadth thereof, a cubit and a half, the height thereof. That's three foot nine inches long, two foot three inches wide, and two foot three inches high. Thou shalt overlay it with pure gold. Within and without shalt thou overlay it and shalt make upon it a crown of gold round about. And thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it, put them in the four corners thereof. Two rings shall be in the one side of it, two rings in the other side of it. And thou shalt make staves of shittim and wood, and overlay them with gold. And thou shalt put the staves in the rings by the sides of the ark, that the ark may be borne with them. The stabs shall be in the rings of the ark, they shall not be taken from it. And thou shalt put into the ark the testimony, or we would call it the law, the Ten Commandments, which I have given thee. And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the height, length thereof, and cubit and a half the breadth thereof. Thou shalt make two cherubims of gold, of beaten work, shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on the one end, the other cherub on the other end. Even of the mercy seat shall you make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. And the cherubims shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings. Their faces shall look one to another, Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark. And in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. Notice verse 22. And there, where? On the box, on the ark, above the mercy seat where the cherubim are. And there will I meet with thee and will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. Now here's what I want you to understand this morning. The children of Israel have been redeemed. They've come out of Egypt. They've been brought into a very vast wilderness. There's probably a million or so of them. They're going to need water. They're going to need bread. They're going to need flesh. They're going to need direction. They're going to need covering from uh, the heat of the day. They're going to need protection from the enemies that might be around them. And the question is asked is how in the world is a million and a half people going to survive in a wilderness where there is no water, where there is no bread, where there is no flesh, especially to feed that many people, and where there is no protection from the heat of the sun during the day, no protection from the enemy. How in the world are they going to survive as far as their, uh, their their society is concerned, as far as the individual is concerned? How are they going to make it? It's very simple. He said, I will meet you at one place. You don't have to run out, and uh, you, you don't have to seek out. But he said, it would be simple to find me. You can find me in one place. I'm glad God's not hard to find this morning. You can find him. You don't have to go all around the world to find him. You say, well, where can you find him? You can find him in Christ. He has shown himself and revealed himself through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. No man can come to the Father, Jesus said, except by me. He is the very revelation of the Father. He is the very emphasis of God Almighty. And what the Lord would say to you and I this morning is I am going to meet all your needs, but I will meet those needs through your faith in my Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He can save any sinner through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He can meet any need of any saint of God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He made this promise before the stock market ever started going down. He made this promise before there ever was a 401k. He made this promise before there ever was... A social Security he made this promise through his son before there ever was a government and a president and an America. he made this promise to you and I and it may be that we're going through some of the struggles we are in America in this hour to cause the Saints to refocus And get their eyes off the job that they thought was going to keep them going. Get their eyes off that check that they thought was their sufficiency. Get their eyes off that savings that they thought had built up uh, to, to sustain them in the days ahead. And make them realize that all of those things are fleeting. And there's no real promise in them. But we've got to get back to looking to the one that God made his promises through. To meet our needs. And that is Jesus and Jesus alone. He will meet our needs. Thank God. As God has promised. And the Lord said I got a place. I got a holy place. And he said in that place I got a box. And he said I'm going to manifest. I'm going to commune. I'm going to meet all your needs. In and through The box. Isn't that so simple? That God would make it so easy for the children of Israel. All they need to do is focus on the box. And hey, child of God, don't worry about CNN and Fox News and USA Today. All you need to do is focus on the Christ that God has given you to meet your needs. And I'm glad He does, aren't you? Christ is all that I need. Christ is all that I need in His oneness. In His oneness. Now, I don't know if you've pondered this or not, but the reason that Jesus Christ came into this world and the reason He came into your life is he wanted to tear down some walls and some dividing points between you and heaven and you and his Father. And you and yourself. Did you know that division started back there in the garden as far as man was concerned. He became an enmity and an enemy of God. And uh, there came this wall of, of nature within us that is contrary to the very God who created us. And so therefore there is, there is division all around us, socially and physically and spiritually. It seems like we're just cut up into all different sorts. I'm I'm of the opinion that every person has a little schizophrenia in them, and uh, and uh, what is that other word? The bipolar. Uh, I see it in myself. I don't know if you see it in yourself or not. But I'm going to tell you something. Before I was saved, there there was really this this uh, division within me. But what Jesus did is he came to create a oneness in heart, a oneness in spirit, a oneness with God. As a matter of fact, he prayed that prayer in John 17. He said, Father, I pray that they may be one even as we are one. He said, I want there to be a union between me and them And between them and you that there would be no division in our relationship. That there would be, thank God, a oneness. So Christ came to bring a oneness. Let me read these verses to you and I'll mention those three thoughts. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace or you can't have peace outside of a oneness with God. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, <coughs> having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. Through him we both have access by one spirit unto The Father. He said, I want there to be a oneness with heaven. I want there to be a oneness with God. I want there to be a oneness of peace in you, the same peace that I I am and that I bring to you. And I'm glad that Jesus, when he saved me, he brought this oneness into my heart. Didn't he do that to you? Tearing down all of those dividers. Now, here's where my emphasis is. I'm thinking about the names that were given to this ark. There are several names that are associated with it. The one that I, first of all, want to mention to you is the name that associates it to the Lord, First. Chronicles chapter 13 verse 6, it is called the ark of God the Lord. 1 Samuel 6 3 said, it is called the ark of the God of Israel. In other words, this is not just anybody's box. This box is associated, this ark is associated with God. And God has associated himself with this box. So that this box primarily, first of all, is the ark of the Lord God. The ark of the God of Israel. He has put his seal by his name. He has laid claim upon this container, this box. And this box by its name has laid claim upon him. So there is a oneness between the box and heaven. But God doesn't want to just leave it that way. He said, I want to reach out and grab you and I want to pull you into this communion and this relationship that I have set up from heaven to earth in this piece of wood that is covered with gold, speaking of christ's humanity, and he said, "I want to reach down through this through this natural Uh, thing that I have brought in supernaturally into this world and I want to reach out to you and I want to bring you into the communion and the oneness that there is in the associations between heaven and earth. There's only one way to have a oneness with heaven and that is you have to have a oneness with Christ. Because it is Christ who introduces us to the Father. That name, the Lord, Elohim, God, ownership, possessor, fellowship, everything is in that box, has a oneness with heaven. There is no division, there is no separation. It's all in one. And once you are brought in to that communion and fellowship, then you, Israel, has a oneness with God also. No divisions anymore. You know, uh, I was looking at this a while back. Did you know that no Old Testament saint, and you get your Bible and tell me if I am not right, I find nowhere in the Old Testament that any Abraham, Noah, David, or any of those great Old Testament saints ever called God God. Father, have you ever thought about that? That personal relationship. Now, Israel was uh, God was recognized by Israel as, as a quote father in a national sense. But it was sacrilegious to an Old Testament Jew on any level to recognize God as a personal father. And as a matter of fact, when you come to the New Testament. The controversy between Jesus and the Pharisees culminated in the fact that in John chapter number 5, they, the Bible said they hated him not only because he healed on the Sabbath, but because he said God was his father, making himself equal with God, which he did make himself equal with God because the DNA and the very genetics of his father was in him. He was born of his father. So when he came into this world, the only begotten of the father, he began to introduce a relationship that nobody knew anything about. They knew about us mighty tower. They knew God as a defense. They knew God as a shepherd. They knew God in those personal terms like that, but they didn't know God as a father. But he said, I have come to introduce you to your father. And they said, well, will you teach us to pray? He said, yeah, I'll teach you to pray. He said, the only way you can pray and the primary way of praying is you've got to say, Father. And the Bible said he has given us of the spirit of his son, whereby we, you and I, cry, Abba, Father. He has brought us into a communion and a wonderful relationship of a oneness with the Father. I was talking about today as to when we were saved. I was not raised in a religious environment. My dad was a drunk all of his days. My mother left when I was a year and a half old. He never remarried, so a drunken father raising nine youngins. You can only imagine. Never heard a prayer prayed in my home. Never, used, never heard the name of the Lord mentioned, but what it wasn't mentioned in vain. Never prayed myself, 14 years old. But I remember that day after hearing the gospel on three occasions when the Holy Ghost showed up. Introduced to me the Son of God told me that he died for my sins was buried rose again the third day. And if I'd believe on him, that he'd accept me into the family. And he did so. But here's the amazing thing. Without any training, without any teaching, I began to pray. And you know what the very first terms that came to my mind when I started praying? It just come out. I said, Father. You say, where'd that come from? It come from the son on the inside yeah. who introduced me to this oneness of a father. Yeah. Just like a son or a daughter in this world coming up to their mother or to their father. Jesus put the spirit, his spirit in me. And the first and, and I love that, I love that. And every time I pray, there's never a time I pray but what I don't say, Father. Yeah. Why? Because he hath made me one with the Father. Isn't that something? I'm glad that I'm not just somebody that's just been invited to hang around. Have a lot of people across this company to invite me into their home. They invited me down to eat barbecue last night. I'll go anywhere to eat. I've read over there where Paul buffeted himself, so I don't mind it myself. But at my best, I still feel like I, am a, I have been invited. Yeah. I have been invited. And as I cross this country, I enter into many homes and different situations, and they are so kind, and they want me to feel liberty, but yet I realize that I, I am not a part of that family. I have been invited. <laughs> I'm glad to report to you this morning that I'm a part of the family of God. Amen. I hadn't just been invited, but I have been made one with the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost and one with the family of God. Amen. The only way that is made possible is through Jesus. He said, right here's where my emphasis is. And if you want to commune, you can commune with me through the box. Jesus is in the box. He's all I need in his oneness. Now, let me move to the second thought. I'm just laying a, a foundation here. The second thought. This this box is not only called the Ark of the Lord God. It shows a connection. It shows a relationship. It, it shows that God has laid a claim. Don't tell me about your claim on God until first, you can tell me about his claim on you. Yeah. Because that's where it all begins. Yes, it he said, that's my box. This is my beloved son in who I am well pleased. And if you want to please me, you'll come through the son. But it's not only called the, uh, uh, the, the, the ark of the Lord God, But many times the primary term is it's called the Ark of the Testimony or the Ark of the Covenant. And what that is a reference to is when Moses was on the mount, God gave him ten commandments. Now those ten are not all the commandments, they represent. The commandments, there are over 300 and some commandments in the Bible that deal with the social life of man, the physical life of man, the spiritual life of man, everything about a man. There are those laws, those commandments. And he said, what I want you to do, he says, I want you to take my commandments and I want you to put them in the box. And now it's called the Ark of the Commandments or the Ark of the Testimony, the Ark of the Covenant. Now, there's a oneness about this box. It is is one with the Father. It is one with God. It is the Ark of the Lord God. There there is no division there. But it is also one, not only with the Lord, but it's one with the law. You see while in Moses' hands that law was broken, right? And there's never been a man born a woman that didn't break this law. And he said, if you broke one of these commandments, you've broken and you're guilty of all the commandments. And so there's nobody here today that can feel at ease around this law. It's kind of like passing the sheriff or the state trooper when the speed limit's 55 and you're doing 85. You know how that feeling is? Oh, is, is he turning around? Is it, is he, you're feeling uneasy. Why? Because you know you've broken a law and you're guilty of it. And as long as that law is anywhere around, you have a cloud of condemnation. You have those thoughts in your mind. Oh, I broke two. I broke number three. I, I broke number 200. I broke 203. Oh, that law's there. A, and if that law is ever pressed, if that law is ever placed in demand upon me, then I'm in trouble Amen. because I know that I am guilty of breaking the law. Yeah. God knew that man could not ever stand in his presence as long as the law was pinned up on the wall as the standard as to whether a man was welcome in the presence of God. that law would always say, you're guilty and you're not welcome. You are condemned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is a division. There is a fear of that law. But he said, I want to welcome you into a oneness. Not with a law hanging on the wall, but a law contained in the box. And I say to you that that law was never broken in this box. There was never anything that was not agreeable between the box and... And the law. I'm glad Jesus fulfilled all of the commandments, aren't you? Never broke any of those commandments, and believe me, there's nothing wrong with the law. And if you're a child of God, it's not grievous to you. There is therefore now no condemnation. To them, thank God, today that are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because He hath taken care of the law. Nailed it to His cross and took it out of the way. And in doing so, I don't despise that law. I'm not afraid of that law. I'm not fearful of a judgment in relationship to that law. I've been made one with the Lord, and I've been made one with the law. Check my record. I've never broken one of them as far as Christ is concerned. Huh? Do a background check in heaven when you get there. You won't find any offense on my account because I'm not coming in myself. I'm coming in Christ and God recognizes the perfection of his son when he looks at me. I've been made one with that old law. I, I remember I got a ticket. I was doing like 15 miles over the speed limit. And the policeman told me, he said, now, that's in North Carolina. He said, if you'll go on this date to the courthouse, the judge will be there trying some people. And said, if you'll get up and plead before him, they had made room in that law to where the judge could lower it to less than 10 miles over and then you'd still have to pay the ticket, but it wouldn't go against your insurance. Yeah. wouldn't raise your insurance, and that's what I was troubled with. I didn't know you could call down there and negotiate and get it done. I was young, and I thought you had to go down there, and so I, I drove to Winston-Salem, went in that courthouse into that courtroom when it opened up, and, man, people were jammed in there sideways. And uh, that judge, he got up there and took the bench... And he began to call people up there that had offended that law. And I'm going to tell you, he made me uneasy because he was strict. Most everybody in there was in there for drunk driving, not me. But they were. And if you were there for drunk driving, you automatically on the spot had your license taken away from you. You were fined and you were taken to jail. I said, hallelujah. But, The sternness of that judge made me feel uneasy because I knew I had broken the law. My turn was coming. He was so stern that in the morning hour, there was a man came in, not thinking about it, had a baseball cap on. The judge said, he stopped everything. He said, there's a man back there with a hat on. Go get him. And the deputy went back and brought him up there and he asked him a question. He said, sir, is your mama teach you better than to wear a hat in your house? It didn't make her, no difference how he answered it. He was in trouble, but he said yes. And he said, do you think you're going to wear a hat in my courtroom? He said, I'm finding you $10 right now, or you go to jail. Well, thankfully the guy had $10, but the sweat's popping out on me. And then he calls another fellow up there after lunch that wasn't there in the morning, and that poor soul had a hat on. He said, do you know, he asked him the same question. He answered, yes or no. He said, all right, it's a $10 fine you're going to jail. He said, sir, I don't have $10 Said, take him out. I wasn't feeling good. And there was two words that they used throughout every case. And this, I didn't get to him until almost 5 o'clock in the evening. And on every case, they would say, Either he mitigated or litigated. Now, if you and I never knew, I never heard those words. All I knew is, is if you mitigated, you got some mercy. If you litigated, you're in trouble. I said, "Oh God, I hope I hadn't litigated." <laughs> so everybody's up there. I said, "Well, the mitigating circumstances, the litigating circumstances." I said, "Man, I'm in trouble. I was scared." And finally it came my turn. And I still I must have mitigated, because he was kind to me and did lower it uh below ten miles an hour and saved as far as the insurance was concerned. But I'm telling you, I was there from eight in the morning to five in the evening, and I sweated it out the whole time. Why? I knew I had broken the law and all I was waiting on is to see if i would mitigated or litigated. And then it dawned on me I'm glad I'm not waiting until I get to heaven to find out what yeah. the verdict is or if I've litigated or mitigated. The pastor said this morning, I'm glad the old account was set on long ago. And thank God there is no condemnation. And I know that it's been taken care of. And I have been made one with the Lord. And I have been made one with this old law. A matter of fact, it's not grievous to me anymore. I've been made one in Christ. Aren't you glad for the oneness that we have in the Lord? Aren't you glad for the oneness that we have in Christ? The oneness that we have in the Lord. The oneness that we have in the law. I will tell you something else. You know, there's a lid right there. And you know what's on that lid? Cherubim's. You ever read about cherubims? I read one place in the Bible where one angel killed 160,000 people. Now, as far as I can tell, a cherubim is a beefed-up angel. Yeah. wonder what he could do. And the last time we read about any cherubim, they was back there in the garden, and they had some swords. Yeah. And you come anywhere near close there, they're going to cut your head off. And here's one of these cherubim on this ark, with a law in it in this holy of holies. But you know, the scripture tells me that them cherubim are not looking at the people, but they're looking at the ark. They're looking at the mercy. That is God's emphasis as far as Christ is concerned. I want to tell you something. I'm glad I'm not only at one with the Lord and one with the law. I'm glad I'm at one with the lid. Anything and everything that has to do with God's at peace with me and I'm at peace with it. You say, well, where'd you get that at? I got it in... Christ, a oneness in the Lord. And if your needs are going to be met, they can only be met in one place with one person as he pulls you into his oneness. Ooh, I'm glad I can lay down at night with peace in my heart and soul. Not worrying about if I die, what's going to happen, yeah. or if I drive down the road and get in a wreck and get killed, what's going to happen? It's all been settled in that one. And the only way I can, uh, the best way I know to illustrate that, and I'll close this, is I closes, is I think about there in the Old Testament when a rich man by the name of Abraham that owned so much had a son by the name of Isaac and. His son, Isaac, inherited everything that belonged to the Father. Isn't that right? He gave him all of it. But Abraham said, I got a a son, but I need that son to have somebody in his life. So he sent that servant, type of the Holy Ghost, into the far off country. And when he got there, he ran into this young damsel by the name of Rebekah. Now, we hadn't heard of Rebekah before. Her name had never been mentioned. But when that servant got there, he began to tell that girl, he said, young lady, I want to tell you about a wonderful father. And I'll come over here and tell you that he's got a wonderful son. And that wonderful son has has sent me into this country to get a wonderful bride because he's interested in a wonderful wedding. Sounds to me like when the Father sent the Holy Ghost to get me and you, take us to a big wedding. But He said, "I want to tell you that that wonderful Father's got a, He's got a Son, the only begotten Son. Uh, said He's He's the offered Son and and uh, and He's the ordained Son, and He's the only Son." And he's come to get you. Now, here's the thing about it. We didn't know Rebecca before that time in the scripture. But I am going to tell you something. If that unnamed servant, if that servant hadn't come to get her, we wouldn't know about her to this day. She would have died in that pagan country. No doubt lost. But he's saying to her, young lady, I want you to know that he is. And because he is, you are. And she was sucked up into the oneness of Isaac. They became one. And out of their oneness, she received all the wealth that had belonged unto the Father. It's not only in his name, it's in her name. And out of that oneness came a son by the name of Jacob. And out of that oneness came twelve tribes. And out of that oneness came a boy by the name of David. And out of that oneness eventually came a son by the name of Jesus. And out of that oneness came you. And out of that oneness came me. Did you know you came out of the womb of a girl that was a nobody that was sucked up into the everything of a man by the name of Isaac? Honey, I was lost on the road to hell without any hope. Sure to go there as if I was born. But thank God the Holy Ghost come one day. He told me about a wonderful son, an only begotten son, an ordained son, an offered son. And he sucked me up into the oneness of Christ. And the Bible said that we are joint heirs. Now that don't mean he's got half and you got half. That means we both own it all. (laughs) Everything that my father owns on the title deed, if you'll look at it, it's got Evangelist Dana Williams on it. I've been made a part of his family. I've been made a part of his fortune. I've been made a part of his future. Everything that I am and that I have has come out of a oneness with Christ. (laughs) I like that. He is all you need. Jesus is in the box. He is all that you need. In his oneness, he can supply every need. I met a lady back up in the hills of North Carolina one time. She was 75 years old. Her daughter was 35. She had cerebral palsy. The, girl, the young lady did. And this godly woman, the presence of the Lord there, so real, took care of her by herself. Now I remember asking her one day, I said... Marcel, how do you take care of little Margaret? Oh, she said, preacher. <coughs> so simple, the way she said it. Oh, preacher. She said, it's like this. Said, little Margaret sleeps with me. Weighed about 60 pounds. She'd have to brush her teeth, take her to the bathroom, clothes her everything. Said, she sleeps with me, but said, every morning when I wake up, I say, Jesus, Will you help me take care of little Margaret today? And she said, he has for 35 years. Children, that's the simplicity of the Christian life. You've got it all in Jesus if you'll just focus on him. He will be all you need. Singing is